Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I'm going to play a game with you, and I need one volunteer. One volunteer. Okay, Amy's going to volunteer. Everybody say hi. Come on. You didn't even ask what the game was, but you can stand right here, okay? All right. Here's the game, okay? The name of the game is, I'm going to say a name, and I want you to decide whether it's the name of a cloud formation. Name of what? A cloud formation. Okay. Or a Roman emperor. Okay. Cloud formation or Roman emperor. Ready? And you can get their help. Okay. Okay? You ready for this one? Yeah. Cumulus. Cloud. That's correct. Augustus. Roman. Yeah. Now let's get harder. Ready? Vespasian. Say it again. Emperor. Emperor is correct. Macrinus. Cloud. It's a Roman emperor. Castellanus. I would say Roman Emperor. It's a cloud formation. <laughs> Spisatus. Cloud. It is a cloud formation. Severus. Roman. Roman Emperor. You got that one. Okay, here we go. Lacunosis. Cloud. It is a cloud. Nerva. Emperor. That's correct. Everybody give her a round of applause. She played the game well. See, it's informative and entertaining. You know, one of the things that we like to do as people is put things in categories, don't we? Have you ever played that game before or seen that game in other ways? We like to put things in categories and it helps us make sense of things, right? Like if we put things in categories, it helps us make sense of things, and, and it's extremely helpful until it's not. And one of the places uh, where we've created unhelpful categories is in the arena of sacred and secular. You guys know that divide? Or spiritual and physical. You know that one? Like, these are spiritual things, these are physical things. And, and these divides ha have actually uh, been uh, created a lot of difficulty for us in understanding things. So, for example, we would say, you know, praying is a sacred activity, right? It's a spiritual activity. Reading the Bible, it's a sacred activity. It's a spiritual activity, right? What about uh, running? <laughs> running is a demonic activity, he says. Well, this went oh, a direction I didn't really intend. <laughs> we'll pray for you later. But it would be like a physical activity, right? Or how about, you know, taking out the trash? It's a physical activity, right? And everybody's like, this is a trick. I'm not sure what he's trying to do here. Social media. Demonic, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. A secular activity. 
right? Like these, these categories have ways to help us and get our heads around things, but they become unhelpful. They become unhelpful when we think about things like feeding the poor. They become unhelpful when we think about things like welcoming the immigrant. They become unhelpful when we think about things like uh, freeing those who are trafficked or caring for the orphan. You know, we, we may see these as the responsibility of the church, but sometimes our sacred and secular divide, our spiritual, physical divide, makes it difficult for us to understand are these things that the church is supposed to do or are these things that the government is supposed to do? Are these things the church is supposed to do or is this nonprofit work? Are this, is this the sphere for the church or is this the sphere for politicians? And God help us all, we have to vote on Tuesday. Some of you are like, we do? Yeah, yeah. You do get a sticker. See, when we move, here's the thing. Whenever you fall back, everybody get, gets an extra hour of sleep. Everybody's just that much more witty. <laughs> and what ends up happening in a lot of these divides is that we decide that the church is in the business of spiritual things, right? The church is in the business of spiritual things, and we say all the rest of that stuff, the social ills of the world, the, the, the physical problems in the world, that, that's political stuff, that's government stuff, that's nonprofit stuff. And our secular and sacred divide actually creates a problem. Like we end up thinking, well, the church ought to be in the business of reading the Bible, right? The church ought to be in the business of praying. The church ought to be in the business of worshiping, but all of the other things in the world, that's government work. It's nonprofit work. And as soon as the church starts to look at the Bible and say, well, God seems to have things to say about that, we get confused. Have you noticed this? Is it right that these things should be separated, or how should we who follow Jesus think about this? We began this series last week in conjunction with our One Day to Feed the World offering uh, that I'm calling Living on the Edge. And what we're looking is intentionally at what God has to say about caring for those on the margins, about looking after and caring for those who are weak and powerless. And what I want you to see this week is that God's design is that spiritual is never separate from physical. That in God's world, there is no divide between sacred and secular. And what I'm calling this message is, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. Would you pray with me before we open God's Word? Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And Lord, we've been so grateful for your presence. You've been so active. And Lord, we're just so grateful that you draw near to us. And so, God, I do pray that you would continue to move among us. God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Don't let us create a divide that's not supposed to be there, Lord. God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth as we look at Scripture. Would you fill my heart with what it is that you want to say, God, that it would come out clearly? Would you put power on this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 58. 
Isaiah chapter 58. You can turn there in the Bible if you are looking. It's, it's about like that. Okay? It's about, you know, close to half. Isaiah chapter 58. Those of you who were here back in Lent this year, remember we went through Isaiah 61 for Lent. And the context of this passage that we're going to look at is very similar to, to what we went through in Isaiah 61. It's Isaiah the prophet is called by God to speak to the nation of Israel on behalf of God and to, to, to say, this is where you have fallen short as my people. And so as I said back in the spring, chapters 1 to 39 of the book of Isaiah is God's judgment on the nation and what's going to happen? Exile, that you all are going to be thrust out of your land, you're going to be carried out of your land. This is the judgment of God, chapters 1 to 39. Beginning in chapter 40 to chapter 55, God issues a word of hope to the nation of Israel. So 40 to 55 is, you will, be, you will return from exile, you will return to the land, I will set you free, I will bring you back, and we get introduced to this figure that Isaiah calls the suffering servant. And if we have, we, we who have, are on the, the back end of Scripture understand that the suffering servant is Jesus. We get introduced to Jesus in the book of Isaiah that one day the suffering servant will come and deal with all the things that have gone wrong in the world, that God is going to make all things new again. And beginning in chapter 56, which is where our passage falls, what we see is the work of the suffering servant and how it works out among God's people. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 58, and here's what we read beginning in verse 1. It says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it, not for, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Let's stop here for now. I want you to understand that if you, if you want to actually understand what's happening here, you have to understand this idea of fasting. A lot of us have a lot of different ideas about fasting, right? Like, I don't know about you, but you can download an app if you're trying to lose weight and they will help you fast. Have you seen that? Yeah. That's what everybody else was thinking. My, all these apps that help you fast to lose weight. But if we actually want to understand what, what God is getting at here, we have to understand the background, the basis of fasting. Because this is the point at which God is 
poking and prodding his people is around fasting. Fasting as a practice involves abstaining from food, right? Quite simply. Not eating. If you dig all the way back to where fasting began, if you think about a society where food is not common, you know, you don't have a refrigerator where you just go and like stick your nose in for a little while and decide you want the cheese or whatever, right? I'm not the only one that does that? Good. Right? Fasting in a society where food was not common was a bigger deal. And fasting actually was an expression of grief. When one was grieving, they would lose their appetite. And so they don't eat. And fasting actually became a mark of those who were dealing with grief, who were mourning, who who had sadness that they were dealing with. But what's primary in the action of fasting is not the food. What's primary is the grief and the grieving. And so if you fast forward a little bit, it's in this vein that God makes this command to His people that on the Day of Atonement, all of God's people are to fast. The Day of Atonement was the day that the high priest was going to go offer sacrifice for the sin of the entire nation. And God's command to fast for the people of Israel was primarily aimed at you getting in touch with the grief that you ought to feel because of the sinfulness that's being atoned for. Again, the purpose of the fast was not the loss of food. It was the grief that you were to get in touch with. It's the point of fasting. One of the things that ends up happening, though, is that people begin to see as a spiritual practice that God draws near to the brokenhearted. Right? That's something we learn about God in the Old Testament, that He draws near to the brokenhearted. And so people see that fasting, as a matter of expression of grief actually drew God's gaze, that God actually cared for the people who were brokenhearted. And so fasting became a spiritual practice, the point of which was to get in touch with the grief as we go forward in our lives, to get in touch with grief. That's the point. But over time, God's people twist the practice. They would forego, uh, forego, for, man, You guys try to do this every week. (laughs) They would forego food with the expectation that not eating would draw God's pleasure and God's blessing. We stop eating so that God has to bless us. Do you see the twist? It becomes about the food and gaining God's favor. Do you see that? Fasting became a way to secure our own benefit. We would fast in order to put God in our debt. I fasted, God owes me. Do you see that that's different? That's what, exactly what God is calling out in verses 2 and 3. He says, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They want their benefit, right? Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? We didn't eat. You didn't give us what we wanted. That's what God's people were upset about. We didn't eat. We fasted. God, we expected you to come through because don't you see we did this great thing for you? We fasted for you so that you would give us what we want. And what this reveals is that God's people didn't know God's character at all. Here's the point. Spiritual practices are not for God, they're for you. 
All of the spiritual practices are not for God. They're for you. Fasting doesn't do anything for God. It does something for you. Reading the Bible doesn't do anything for God. It does something for you. Praying doesn't do anything for God. It does it for you. The point of spiritual practices is not to put God in your debt. The point of spiritual practices is to posture yourself appropriately before God. Spiritual practices are for you. And none of the spiritual practices exist to make God owe you anything. Do you know that? None of them exist to make God owe you anything. The belief that you can force or manipulate God to do something by the, your spiritual practices is spiritual for sure, but it's not Christian. That's a spiritual idea for sure. It's a spiritual idea of witchcraft. That I can engage in a certain practice and now God has to dole out what I need. That's witchcraft. That's exactly right. Like that's what witches do, right? I'm going to do the incantation exactly right so that the gods have to give me what I want. That's not Christian. It's witchcraft. And yet I see it over and over and over with Christians and in churches. You guys have ever heard this? Like we really want this thing from God, so let's fast and pray. Have you heard that? Let's fast and pray so that God has to give us a blah, 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 whatever we want. We're entering a new season. Let's fast and pray so that God has to give us a blessing this season. That's witchcraft. That's not Christian faith. If you're fasting and praying so that God owes you anything, just stop fasting and start praying alone. God wants to give you. God is good. If you're fasting and praying to twist God's arm into giving you what you want, it shows you don't know the character of the heart of God at all. We don't fast and pray so that God has to. We just pray to our Father who wants to. Do you know that? Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said this. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His willingness. Do you know that you have a Father in heaven who wants to give you good gifts? So if you just pray and you ask God for what you need, it's His desire to give you good things. Matthew 7, Jesus says it like this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you know you have a Father in heaven who wants to give you good gifts? And to use spiritual practices to manipulate him is to say, I don't know him at all. Spiritual practices are for you, they're not for God. But it's not just fasting where we put our spiritual practices uh, on the balance to try to tip the cosmic scales in our favor. It's not just fasting. It's everywhere. We have this tendency, right, to use these spiritual practices as bargaining chips. Look, God, I have read the Bible for 65 days in a row. You owe me. Don't we? 
Maybe, maybe that's not yours. Maybe it's, look, God, I pray morning and night. Every night I do the app and I'm there every night. Look at the pattern I got, the check mark after every day. You owe me. Don't we do that? Some of you are like, I, I, uh, that feels like a trick. No, it's not a trick. Don't we do that? Maybe it sounds like this. If I just show up to church enough, God will have to bless me. If I just show up to church enough, God will have to bless me. If I give enough money, I just sow a seed of faith, God's going to have to give me back tenfold, right? Have you heard that one? I'm like on a tear, man. I'm like hitting prosperity gospel hard. Don't we do that? Just sow a seed. Just give enough money and God has to bless you. If I read enough of my Bible, God will have to bless me. If I uh, just serve enough, you know, we love it when you serve here. If I just serve enough, God will have to bless me. If you're serving just for God to bless you, you've missed the point. Or maybe it's flipped for you, you know, maybe it's flipped for you. God, if you come through on this job that I'm applying for, I'm going to start giving. Right? It's the same thing. Just flipped it around, right? God, if you come through in my relationships, if you can save this marriage, I'll start going to church on a regular basis. Right? God, if you can uh, just heal my loved one, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Or God, if you, if, if you just uh, fix my marriage, I promise I'm going to start to serve at the church. It's the same thing, right? We're taking our spiritual practices and dropping them on the balance, hoping to tip it in our, in our favor, aren't we? Like I said, what this says is I don't understand who God is. I don't understand the goodness of God. I don't understand the character of God, and I don't understand what the purpose of spiritual practices is. Perhaps more significant, we haven't understood our purpose as God's people. Do you know we have a purpose as God's people? God doesn't save us and call us His people so we can engage in spiritual practices for the rest of our lives. Do you know that? Is that news? You didn't get saved so that you can do spiritual practices for the rest of your life. You and I are saved to participate in God's mission in the world, spiritual practices are how we are formed into the kind of people who can do that. Do you know that? It's not near as fun now, is it? Somebody needs to say something witty. See, that's the function that God expects spiritual practices to have. That they would shape us and form us into the kind of people who could do kingdom things in the world. Do you understand that? The point of praying on a regular basis is so that you can be in touch with and know the heart of the Father. So that whenever you're out there in the world, you can hear him say, that one, I want you to go talk to that one. The point of reading Scripture on a regular basis is so you can know the heart of God and know what God has already said so that when you're out there and someone comes to you with a question or a challenge comes up, you're like, I already know what God thinks about this. Does that make sense to you? The point of fasting, if we come back to the passage, is that we might be in touch with the brokenness inside of ourselves that God might shape us into someone else. That's the point. 
We don't fast so that God owes us. Here's what verse 6 says. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? God's expectation of spiritual practices is that they find their result in kingdom activity in the world. The tendency that we wrestle with in the church is to believe that the point of the church is just to do spiritual things. We've argued so many times as pastors, like if we could just get people to go to church on a regular basis, I think that's the wrong question. If we could just get people to be missional in the world, they would have to be a part of a church. Have you ever been around a, peop a people who are missional in the world on a regular basis? They're not like, how many times do I have to come to church for God to be happy with me? They're like, how many times can I be around people who remind me who I am, who will lift me up and pray for me? The, the aim of all of this stuff is to bring the kingdom in the world. I've said this a bunch of, uh, of times, but it bears repeating. Our problem comes from a misunderstanding of the gospel. See, the gospel is not Jesus died for you, so pray this prayer and you can go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the kingdom of God has broken into this world in the Messiah Jesus. You have been invited into relationship with God to partner with him to restore the world. That's a different thing, is it not? And if you understand that, it becomes clear when God says, feed the hungry, that that's actually part of what we're supposed to do, right? It's not a staple on like, hey, if I got margin in my life, I'm just going to feed the hungry then. Or, you know, whenever I have enough money, then I'm going to give to the poor. No, 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 no. Part of our existence as kingdom people is to do these things. Does that make sense? And that's the point God is trying to make in this passage. God's people were never supposed to be people who just engage in spiritual practices for the sake of spiritual practices. We're supposed to be people who engage in mission in the world and utilize spiritual practices that we might become the kind of people who could do mission in the world. You were made to be in partnership on mission with the Lord. Turns out it's really, really hard to do if you haven't been shaped into the image of Christ. Is that not true? You ever try to do this stuff on your own without engaging with, with God first? It's really, really hard. God's people are supposed to be people who can engage in spiritual practices that form and shape them into the kinds of people who can engage in physical and social problems on behalf of the kingdom of God. In other words, everything is spiritual. If you don't understand this key biblical concept, you'll struggle to understand why we are doing one day to feed the world. It won't make sense. Why are you guys doing, doing this offering to give money to feed the hungry? I can't really make my bills. Why are we doing this? But if you understand that the point is to see the kingdom come in the world around us, to see every area where the enemy has taken ground overdone, undone and overtaken, if that's the point, to see the work of the enemy undone, it makes perfect sense that we might partner with somebody like Convoy of Hope who's doing the work. 
it also makes perfect sense why we might be engaging in this justice and mercy survey, which I put the code up there. We can throw it up there again for you. Um, maybe. There it is. Jen is here. Jen, look over there. Wave hi to Jen. Jen is in charge of the justice and mercy team. And Jen is trying to gather information from those who are interested in taking steps toward doing justice and mercy in the community around us. And so that QR code, you can hit that QR code. It'll ask you some of your interests, and then Jen will reach out to you. But the reason we're doing this is not because we needed one more team or because we needed more things to do. But we actually do believe that this is central to the gospel. See, we talked in our last series that our mission is to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. And this is one of the things that we believe is central to that. Here's the thing that I, I want you to hear what, uh, what God says the results if we live this kind of life are. Picking up at verse 8, God says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, I love that line, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not doing your own way, going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land, and to fast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Don't you want God on your side? Isn't that what we all kind of want? We sort of want God on our side. That's why they pray at football games. I guess it's who have, you get, get as many people to crowd around the 50-yard line as one, at once. That's probably what's wrong with the Steelers this year. We just haven't had enough guys at the 50-yard line praying. Don't we all want God to be on our side? Don't we all want God to heal us and answer our prayers? Don't we all want God to direct us and to protect us? We want God to provide for us? Isn't that what we all want? You see, at the very beginning of this passage, God confronts the nation of Israel because they wanted themselves to leave others behind. It's like, I don't care about those people, God. I want you to take care of us. And what God says here is, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the poor, I will lift all of you. God doesn't want to lift little individual groups of people. We pretend that is the case in churches in America. We pretend that God wants to lift our little segment of the population and to heck with the rest of them all. But God says, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of those who are poor, who are marginalized, who are the least of these, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of them, I will lift you all. 
That's the vision of the kingdom. And it's central to what God is doing in the world. Here's the thing. It's pretty hard, as I talked about last week, isn't it? It's nice to talk about here, you know. As soon as we get out in the world, it gets pretty hard, doesn't it? As it turns out, turns out the people who need our help a lot of times are not the nicest people. They don't come from the best backgrounds. Brokenness drives a lot of the decisions. And yet that's the calling of God on our lives as his people. What I believe we need if we're going to actually engage this, if we're going to actually do this stuff in the world, if we're actually going to walk out the doors and transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel, I believe we need nothing less than an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less. Nothing else is going to propel us out into the world empowered to do the things God has called us to do. I have been engaging in conversations with city leaders for the past few weeks, and I'm going to continue in various sectors. Do you know what they all are trying to do? They're all trying to solve problems in this world with one hand tied behind their back. They're trying to solve problems for this group while leaving this group behind. Had a conversation with, with uh, one, one person who was talking about how to deal with drugs in, in our community. And the solution is, we'll throw all the dealers in jail for the longest period of time, and the rest of us can live a life that's better. But the kingdom perspective is that we would actually lift up both, right? Every problem in the world needs Jesus to be the center of it. Every problem in the world needs Jesus as the king. It needs Jesus as the ruler, which means it needs us to show up in those spaces empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think that's the calling of God on this church. I think that's the calling of God on our lives. Are you up to it? Are you interested in it? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.